Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. I'm a brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, we have identity designer Mackie Saturday. We talk about his first 10 years in business, how he made it into the world of design through skateboarding, and how he got added to the principal's list at Chermayev, Geismar, and Haviv. It's a really cool interview. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Mackie Saturday. Okay, guys, welcome all the way from New York City. Mackie Saturday is a principal designer at Chermayev and Geismar and Haviv. Responsible for some of today's most exciting and talked about identities, including those for Instagram, Oculus, and Lux. Mackie's become a definitive source for trademark design to the leading brands of Silicon Valley, as well as other progressive companies around the world. Mackie joined the firm in 2016 after nearly a decade of running his own studio. He's spoken at AIGA events, creative conferences, as well as universities and design schools around the country. With a lifelong history of pursuing art and visual communication, he focuses on idea-driven strategy and graphic design to create advanced, steadfast identities. Mackie, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you for having me, Josh. So I feel kind of fortunate in a way, maybe this is strange to say, but I had two chances to see you speak in the last few years, (laughs) and I missed both of them. So I'm going into this conversation pretty fresh. Um, I guess you and I were both at Creative South maybe four or five years ago in Columbus, Georgia, and then you were just in Indy a few weeks ago, which I wasn't able to make your session then either, but uh, hope you had a good visit here in Indy. Yeah, Indy was great. I I had only been there, I don't know, eight years ago or something, and it's a totally different place now. So it was nice to come back, and uh, the creative community there is strong, a lot of talent. It's a really exciting place. Yeah, I, I know that um, Indianapolis at least credits the Super Bowl having been through here as a big thing. But uh, I know having lived here since 99 that Indy has just grown leaps and bounds the last few years. And it's cool to see. It's cool to have people who visit, you know, eight years later and say, hey, this is different. This is this is cool. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your um, initial connection to Indianapolis? Uh, I had just come through years ago when I used to travel for uh, skateboarding. And so we did some demos there and uh, I spent about a week in the city and around the, the skate spots of the area and skate parks out in the suburbs and stuff. Um, so it was a, a diff- bit of a different reason, but that was why I was there all those years ago. Nice. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about CGH here in a second and how all that came to be. But mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite questions to start out with people is, just tell me a little bit about your origin story and how you found your way into the world of design and brand design. Yeah, of course. Um, ever since I was very young, I was always interested in, in art specifically. And I didn't know that there were really career paths in that outside of cliched things of being a starving artist and uh, or just being a distraught person my whole life trying to, to get my ideas out. Even when I was very, very young, I always had a, a big challenge of having ideas in my head that I couldn't get out onto to paper. Um, but it was later, only later in life, actually, realistically, even the end of my college career, 
when I realized that uh, I could combine this love that I had for art and for visuals uh, with problem solving and with strategic, I don't know, ideas to to solve to solve problems for businesses and for companies and products and. And that marriage really was what led me into design. And I'd always had a penchant for for communicating a lot with little. I've always liked simplicity. I liked reducing ideas down into into simpler forms. And so when that was an actual discipline in design, it seemed as though it was meant to be. So is that something then um, you went to school for or studied or self-taught or what's no, what's in your background? Yeah, so I went to school for art. I have a fine arts degree, actually. So I, I, like I said, even when I was in in middle school and high school, my mom, you know, your mom's always right. She would encourage me to to take graphic design courses, and I always told her no. I said that that they were cheaters because they got to use computers. <laughs> so um, I was such a purist, and it was. So I, I studied art, and I'm actually very grateful for that because I think that those skills um, are what's much more valuable than just learning some programs uh, in terms of, of what I could get educated in and have an opportunity to explore. So I have a fine art degree, and my concentration is actually in metalsmithing, which I do nothing with. <laughs> but uh, it taught me to, to think in a, in a very different way, and the reason I, I made that my concentration was because I, I wanted something that was challenging, something that I hadn't done before. And I really liked the idea of creating work that could be viewed in multiple scenarios from multiple angles and all pieces needed to be considered, which turns out to be a lot of what, uh, of what design is. We create things that then go out in the world and are viewed by people in a lot of different ways and a lot of different scenarios. And there's always the challenge of creating a, a consistent message that's clear. So it was the same kind of thinking, just a totally different medium. And it was only yeah, after, after school, um, when I was traveling, doing some of that skateboarding stuff, that I, that I realized, okay, well, I can take what is art and put it into something that's, uh, that's valuable, that solves problems, that is more objective. And that's where this pursuit of design came from. So going from fine art to metal smithing, to skateboarding, to exploring graphic design, um, was it sort of like the physician heal thyself? Were you doing things for yourself as a skateboarder or were you immediately kind of finding your way into client work at that point? Well, I was doing things for skateboarding, not for myself. So mm. for the, the people that I was traveling with, those companies or, or other companies in that industry, those were some of my, my first clients. And so it was through immediate connections, and it just happened to be in that industry. And, and all of those industries, skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, they've all been very visually driven and very in support of, of creativity because they kind of go one, like they go hand in hand. And... So it was a great place to get a start because there was a huge appreciation for for art and design, and it was an easier transition for me because a lot of of artists work in those fields too. And so I was taking realistically, I was being more of an artist at that point and just learning how to create art in digital formats so that it could be distributed and used within the industry. Well, 
Um, obviously you've created some pretty amazing stuff, um, before joining CGH. So how did the evolution of your firm get to the point where you were doing, you know, work for Instagram and the like? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it wasn't instant. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, rapid, but it was, it was still relatively fast. And what happened was that, yeah, I was doing work within the, the, the skateboard industry, the snowboard industry, mostly you know, with people that I knew or friends that I had, relationships that I'd built over the years and people had gone out and, and taken jobs at different either agencies or, or actual companies and they would hire me for a project here or there. But then I started also just doing work for any, kind of any company that would hire me at that point. I was, I was very excited about the opportunity to, to do this work and I wanted to do the best work I could for whoever it was that would hire me. And a lot of those times, a lot of times those projects were not very exciting, but I still believed in, in doing the best work that I possibly could. Cause you never know who somebody's going to connect you to or who, uh, who may see that work and go, Hey, who did that? Who's their aunt? Who's their cousin? Wh- whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had, had done a lot of work in that way. And I wasn't, and I was sharing that work with people. I was letting people know that I had made a decision to to focus on on visual identity design, you know, really digging into the logos. And I also was in California a lot just because that's where I'm from and that's where my wife is from. We weren't married at that time, but all my friends were there. So I'd spend a lot of time there. And then my connections out there were obviously into the tech industry just because it's so saturated. And so through through friends and through uh, just spending time out there. That's where a lot of the tech work started to come from. Out, so that was really kind of the next I don't know, industry that I did a lot of work in besides action sports. And that grew and then led into some of the more notable ones. And those opportunities also come because you, you do this work early on and people see that work as, as a, like a good logo or whatever, really because the companies are good. The companies are successful. I was doing the same kind of work for all of the companies that I was working with, all of the different brands that I was working for were getting that same level of attention and the same care. It's just that some of these companies have been a little bit more successful from a business perspective. So people see them as, as better logos. So when you talk about, you know, visibility and people seeing you, you know, going to work for a firm like CGH, I mean, as, as brand designers go, they're some of the elite few of just the, you know, some of the most storied firms around. Um, how did you catch their attention and, and what did that, what did that process and conversation look like? Mm-hmm. So when I was running my studio and at a certain point I had an office both in Denver and in San Francisco and I was you know going back and forth quite often, I realized that I didn't have anybody that I really could go to and, and seek advice from. I had peers, you know, I had, so I could get, I could get critique and feedback from friends, but I wanted somebody who I, I really admired and looked up to, uh, somebody that I felt, you know, could offer me an opinion that I wouldn't be able to come up with on my own. And I had always looked up to and respected the work, um, specifically done by Tom and Ivan over for all the years, because Sagi is a, a newer partner. Tom and I haven't really established a lot of those famous logos and the principles that I was following even within my design. And so I reached out 
through a friend who was a part of the Oculus project with me, Nick Taylor, who taught teaches at SVA and and these guys teach a class with SVA. And I said, hey, can you uh, can you intro me to them at all? And and he was kind enough to do that. And I said, hey, I'm in New York pretty often. This is a totally crazy request, but would you be willing to to give me a little bit of your time just for some mentorship? Look at my work uh, and help me find the the problems. Help me see where I can get better. And uh, they were kind enough to actually believe in that and say yes and okay. And so I started swinging by the office when I was in New York just for 30 minutes or so in between things and talking about the work that I was doing. And after coming a couple of times, my wife and I were considering, we were living in Denver at the time, and we're saying, okay, let's go back to San Francisco. I've got, I'm working out there all the time. All of our family's out there. Let's go there. I told that to Sagi here, and then he sent me an email a couple hours later when I was about to hop on my plane and said, hey, well, if you're thinking about moving, uh, why don't you just uh, move to New York and join us instead? <laughs> so it was... Uh, it, yeah, it was a, a funny, very simple, but uh, life-changing kind of email. Obviously, there was, um, I guess, some some depth to the, the mentorship relationship and probably some depth to those conversations beyond just, just a few visits, at least I would guess. I mean, it was, it was not as deep as many people might assume. Um, they were, they, they were you know, valuable interactions and, and everything, but it wasn't that I was you know, being mentored for years and they had seen me come through a, a bunch of different things. It was, uh, it was only a, uh, a matter of about, I don't know, maybe six months or something and a few visits, but apparently, apparently there was enough of an impact. Yeah, there was, um, did you ever get the feeling that, that that was a possibility early on in those conversations or was it not until that, that one email? It was not until that email. There was never a consideration of that whatsoever. I had never even thought of, of working with anybody else really in, in that way in terms of joining an established thing. I, I'd considered, yeah, starting new things with friends or whatever, but I had never even put it in my mind to, to join up with someone that was established or to work at a bigger company or, or anything like that. So it really was out of the blue. And so your studio previously was just yourself. Is that right? Yeah, it was me. And then I had a few staff members uh, mm -hmm. and we would uh, just crank away making logos as much as we could. How big is uh, CGH today? Tell us a little bit about how you're sized and structured. Sure. Uh, so we're very small. We're like 15 people in total. And that includes the, the principals. So myself, Sagi, Tom and Ivan. And then we have the, the whole office for the most part is is design. Um, we have a, two people who help with administrative and and a little bit of I, I wouldn't even say project management, really, but um, just help keep everything in order. But for the most part, we're an office of designers. And so there's the four principles that lead and we all work collaboratively on every project. We don't take projects individually and then have junior staff that works on it with us. We all work together on every project. Mm, that's cool. And the whole team works and the whole team works on every project too. So that's why keeping it small is, is a necessity in order for that to, to work. Because in fact, years ago, the office used to be much larger and they made an intentional decision to reduce it in size because they wanted to keep uh, their finger on the pulse of every project and really have that 
that personal touch and that dedication to the work so that anytime you you do work with us you know oh the same person that designed the logo for chase bank in 1960 and the person who designed the instagram logo and the person who did this they are those are really the people that are working on my project not just oh hey these people showed up to a meeting but i don't know who's actually doing this we're we're personally involved and and dedicated to every project that comes in the door are uh are tom and ivan still pretty actively involved yep you know are they in the office every day they are. You wouldn't believe it. They're both 85 and they're both in the office every single day. I can walk out the door right now and go give Ivan a high five and go hang out with Tom. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, uh, it, it really has taught me a lot about, about age and about what you're able to do and how the mind can stay very sharp and how you can, especially in a craft like design, you can continue to grow. Uh, you, you know, the body may get older, but the mind can can be continually exercised and just get better and better. The way that these guys are able to see after so many years, how quickly they can uh, find something that is good, something that is not, is is really incredible. And so, yeah, they're still here every day. Tom's always just sitting, you know, on his iPhone, whatever. He's more young than me sometimes. He makes, I think Tom makes the craziest <laughs> ideas out of anybody in the office, um, which is which is really funny because, you know, he he's this the guy who introduced this idea so many years ago of, Oh, you can have a simple abstract mark to represent a bank. Like when he did the chase bank logo, mm-hmm. and then he'll still also be the guy making the craziest, weirdest logo for a project. And we're, we're like, Tom, there's no way that can work. And he's like, sure it can <laughs> just believe. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's not what you would expect, but they they are genuine. Uh, they're very special individuals and they have minds that I have, uh, never seen before in anyone else. Well, it sounds like perhaps the answer to this is lots of time designing, but you know, with a firm of 15 and I can imagine that everyone there wears multiple hats. So maybe you could fill us in a little bit on what an average day or week looks like for you and how much you're traveling or doing administrative stuff or, you know, account managing or presenting versus just, you know, heads down doing design work. Sure. I mean, every, every week is different. So it it goes in cycles. It depends on where we are in a project. Uh, for example, right now we're in the early stages of a few different projects, so there's a, a lot of time that is spent heads down, just drawing, ideating, trying to come up with these ideas, working on them with Tom and Ivan and Sagi. And and so we're getting to spend a little bit more time doing that than maybe I would in, in other times. But I would say there's a relatively balanced split between actual design time, uh, collaboration time with the other principals, and then also collaboration time with the rest of our designers working on on building these things out and creating the the whole visual language that that goes with the brand, and then meeting time, uh, presentation time, or preparing for presentations. Um, all of that kind of kind of equals its itself out. Some weeks are a little bit heavier on the meetings, um, but I wouldn't say that I overly do just one one thing uh, compared to, to anything else. And that includes design. I don't have a, a majority of time that is just spent designing over meetings, for example. So with you know a really impressive client list under your belt, both from um, your solo work and I'm sure the clients that you've 
touched already with CGH, but you know, when we talk about clients like Instagram and Oculus and Silk, um, mm -hmm. what, what would you define for you makes for a really great client? A really great client to me is someone who, who has a, a genuine care for design. I don't, I don't really want a client who's totally hands off. Some people think they want a client who, who doesn't care at all. And so they just let them, them go and then show up and say, yeah, that's great. But I, I like people who, who really do care about design because oftentimes we can push a, a really great idea through then. It's not just what's a safe idea that would go through somebody who doesn't care, but it can be something really, uh, that really has the ability to, to be a piece that we can all be very proud of uh, in the end. So client who who has an eye for design and appreciation for design is able to to give as much time as needed to the project but also knows when it's their time to to sort of step away and and allow us to do what we're we're hired for and sometimes you find those kind of clients everybody's a, a little bit different but i've definitely worked with a lot of people who are as close to you could get as a in terms of being a perfect client I was perusing your Twitter feed a little bit earlier today and mm -hmm. saw you mention something like a client that said, never <laughs> mind what I said before, just do whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, that, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's, that just happened. Um, you don't have to out the client, but give us a little more context about how that statement came to be. Sure. Uh, we were interviewing one of the founders of a, a new company that were doing a logo for one of their products. And they're in uh, an industry that's that's it's also a new industry, and and he's very. I don't even know a good way to describe him necessarily. He's just he's just a, a really unique guy, but he believes in the possibilities of a lot of things. He doesn't see the world the same way that everybody else does, and so he, most of the conversation was things like, "Well, this is what I believe about the company, but I know that since we're working with you, we're going to get something good anyways." Uh, and that was kind of always that caveat. So then in the end of the conversation, I was just saying, you know, what are the, we're trying to understand, you know, what's the personality of the company and what, how do we want people to view this and everything? And we say, well, is there, is there anything that we didn't ask you is what are, what are your final thoughts on this? And he said, yeah, well, actually I think you should forget everything I've just said and hijack the project and make it into whatever you want it to be. <laughs> and he genuinely meant it. Um, and that, that's an immense level of trust and a very rare statement that you get from a client. It's almost, it's not that that's too much freedom because we wouldn't ever just throw everything out the window. That's not wise. We're not trying to just make a pretty piece of art. What we want to do is genuinely solve the problem well and make proper identification that has the ability to, to communicate and stand the test of time. So him saying that, yes, it's, it's kind of that dream, dream client statement, but at the same time, it's, it's more of just a confirmation that, well, he wants us to do what we do well, and he knows that we value uh, we value what he needs as our you know our pinnacle goal, and so it really will turn out for the best for everyone probably. And it, as CGH, um, obviously, you guys do a lot of work in the brand identity space, but where do you kind of draw the line? What what kinds of things do you guys stop at, or do you do pretty much everything across the board from a design perspective? Uh, we. We definitely do not do everything across the board. Um, we're happy to consult on a lot of things down the line, but for example, we're not 
we're not really web designers. Uh, we we can help set a, a the stage and and set the the language in place for what can become uh, you know a website, but we're not doing UI and UX work. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a specialty there. Same thing goes with you know motion graphics and things like that. We do a little bit of that in house, and we have one of a couple of our designers that are pretty good at that. But at the same time, when we're talking about the these final pieces or things that are, are made for uh, for broadcast or things like that. We believe in just helping consult while people that are really, really, really talented at that make make the work. So for the most part, we are just doing that, that visual identity and then the brand that kind of the immediate brand that surrounds that. So that's not just a logo necessarily. It could be it's the logo, it's the colors, it's the typography, it could be patterns, it could be it could be some art in architecture, so how it lives, you know, within a corporate headquarters, how the logo can be extended into sculpture and into those type of things. But that's that's kind of the limitation of it. Where do you feel like your best clients come from? Maybe historically or at CGH? Recommendations. I mean, the best the best clients generally have come through somebody who knows me or knows. It's the people here um, personally and have worked with us before and then pass that um, information on to somebody who's really in need. And so it's, it's rare that the best clients are the ones who come through the cold call. Sometimes you get a good one that way, but mm-hmm. most of the time it's through, oh, this person knows you, they really recommend you. And and they tr- then there's just a, a built-in level of trust, which allows the process to, to go better. And usually when we are recommended by somebody, that person know, already knows the type of work that I make, you know, the type of style that I'm going to deliver on the, the they understand what the end product's going to be. And so there's, there's already that level of clarity going into the project, which really allows us to, to dig right into what's valuable and make the best work. Do you feel like with it as um, long-standing a firm as CGH is that that you guys are dealing with any misperceptions or kind of baggage based on the age of the firm? Absolutely, I think that's one of the the greatest challenges here. Is people, and I understand it. You you automatically assume like, how is it possible for you to stay at the top of your game for sixty years? That's a really you know, <laughs> like. It's a very logical question. And so we deal with that all the time. And what's what's been funny is that the principles that that Tom and I have set up so many years ago are actually becoming more relevant rather than less relevant. Um, one of the biggest requests, one of the biggest reasons we do a lot of the identities that we work on um, are because clients come to us and say, hey, our, our logo doesn't work as an app icon or doesn't work as a fave icon. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... <laughs> It, it can't reduce. And, but the Chase Bank logo that was done in 1960 is a terrific app icon. Um, <laughs> and that, so that, that style really does have the ability to endure and to, to work for a, a very, very long time. So that's, that's kind of a, a consistent challenge there. And there's a, always a question of, well, how can you be relevant? How can you still understand what's happening today, um, having been around for so long? But that's also kind of the beauty of the discipline. Um, when you talk about identities, 
they only are really valuable if they stick around through trends and through uh, changes in technology and culture. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, there's great value in in these guys having done this for a while because they understand, okay, well, what things stay constant and what things change? Let's focus on on the things that are constant and let's put good work into the world that can live in that realm. And then it will have the ability to flex where needed in, in the things that change more consistently. So maybe it's, um, you know, a client project that goes sideways or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's, you're just stuck, but how do you find your way out of those kind of situations? Or do you have any, any advice for designers dealing with those kind of issues? <laughs> of, of what, well, I think there's, there's different answers to all of those. So, um, a project that goes sideways, for example. So one of the, the best things you can do is just talk to your client, be open and be honest, um, and, and find out what the, what the real problems are and, and figure that out early. Um, Egos often get in the way. You know, we, we are here at the service of the client and you, I, I get hired because I can help solve a problem, but it's still their business and it's not about me. And so speaking to them early, under, trying to get into their shoes and realize, well, they're still just a person who has uh, other people to serve and that they're working for. How can, I, how can I help them get into that place and get there early and figure out how you can help? Um, that really helps with with those type of, of situations, um, you know, communication, it, it really does solve most everything because if there is any ambiguity around what's going on, or you just start to let your mind wander into what if this, what if that, uh, those are all just harmful places. So be transparent, be honest, be open and, and do that quickly. And that generally solves, I don't know, 90 plus percent of the problems. Sometimes these things can't be resolved, but at least you have a level playing field where everybody feels like they're heard and we know what the challenges are so we can solve from there. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Mackie, tell us about one of your proudest professional moments as a designer. Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. I, I don't know that I've had you know, a specific moment I've had lots of, of little like, you know, funny things like uh, when, when, for example, like my uncle, you know, sends me a, a picture of, of silk that he's buying, you know, in the store to take <laughs> home and drink. Um, and he never cared about design ever, but he was always like the cool uncle and he's been, he's been vegan for my entire life. And so to have him, you know, buy a product that I was able to do some work on and then the fact that, that he cares enough to notice the design. Um, just that, that, I don't know. It's, it's the fact that it impacts his life in, in some type of way. That's, that's made me very proud. Also just, it's, I mean, one of the things that I, that I like to, to laugh about, and I'm sure that it must be crazy to do this. If you're, if you're someone like Tom, it's just when you see people interacting with your work and they have no idea that you did it, but you get to stand right next to them while they look at it or, <laughs> or whatever. That's always fun. Like I, you know, I ride the subway every day and I get to look at everybody staring at this logo that's attached to the top of this feed of photos that they're going through and just being like, yeah, hey, I remember drawing all of every single one of those letters and all these things that you'll never, ever notice. But uh, it's fun to, to have, have those moments and know that, you know, something that I, 
put so much time in and looked at uh, so so closely and carefully they're also intaking for a, a good majority of their life so it's kind of exciting this question is kind of funny in that um, a few of the guys who we've had on the show have listed um, Tom and Ivan as their answers, but uh, I'm curious. <laughs> Tom and Ivan, then I'm done. Yeah, right. So I'm curious um, who some of your design heroes are. Um, Tom and Ivan. No, they, they are, though. They always <laughs> they can start always, the list. They always were. Um, but I, I've always really looked up to to other other people out, I don't know, you could call them design heroes or just um, artistic heroes, things like that. But I think what uh, what Louise Feely has done over the years is, is really impressive that she established a, a very distinctive style of work that she wanted to do that was very industry specific, but she has influenced and created an entire genres now because of her dedication to a craft, even though it's not the work that I do, I'm immensely impressed by the legacy that she has set forth just from the people that worked for her and that are now out kind of inspiring a whole new generation of design. So she's a, a, a design hero. Um, I think the same thing could be said for Paula Cher and the way that she has worked over the years and um, her, her confidence in that work and creating things that uh, span all kinds of different styles and industries, definitely a, uh, an inspiration to me or a, or a design hero. Um, but in, in art, Agnes Martin, the things that she did, the, the way that she was able to almost like conquer her own mind to create work that was so meticulous and beautiful. Um, that's really inspiring to me because it shows that, that the discipline of art or of design can can go beyond even what like being trapped in your in your own mind. And then of course, there's always the the classic people who just created great work. That's Tom, that's Ivan, that's Paul Rand, that's Saul Bass, that's that's those kind of people that have have set forth the path of which I kind of follow from a from a visual perspective. So maybe thinking along the lines of those those heroes and and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would look at your body of work and say those are some of their dream projects. But but what are some dream projects that you'd still like to do uh, in the future? Yeah, uh, I would really like to design an airline. Mm, you and me both. I mean, I think that's kind of a lot of people's thing. And it's an extremely challenging task. And so it goes usually to a limited number of agencies that have the staff that are familiar with doing all of that work. And so I understand that. So even if I was just brought on to do the identity and then work alongside a team that could, you know, build out everything else that's necessary, that would be a, a dream for sure. I would like to design, I don't know. That's, that's one of the big ones. We could, we could leave it there. I like, I always want to work with people that are creating new technology too, things that, that don't really exist. Um, the opportunities to set in place something that that could become even like a you know like to, to work on something like a Xerox um, you know back in the day so that then it became the generic term for something or like a Kleenex or or whatever I think those kind of opportunities are are also really exciting. As you look at um, kind of things that are happening in the design and brand landscape and trends. 
are there are there any things that you look at out there and go, man, this is just driving me crazy? Like it just <laughs> <laughs> you've just had enough of it. I don't think that there's things that are dry. If there's something that drives me crazy, it's less the the specific visual and it's more the mindset. What what has I don't know, frustrated me lately has been kind of this neutralization of design where we decide that being neutral is the best graphic design and it's almost that we don't want to have personality so that it's more inclusive. And I think being inclusive is a, is a great idea with your design, but you should do that while still having character and personality and being identifiable and, and unique. So that has kind of driven me insane where if you go to 20 different new company websites, their branding, their illustration style, their typography, they're, they're almost exactly the same and they're indistinguishable. Um, so I, I wish that people would not be scared to have a point of view and a personality. Um, that would be great. So do you think that is at all, do you think that's more driven by technology where we can kind of see what everybody's up to at the moment? So trends are kind of, you know, hyper spread or do you write that off to something else? I write it off to something else, actually. I kind of write it off to like a, a misappropriation of responsibilities in terms of, of who designs what. Because I do understand from a, from a web or a product perspective that there needs to be kind of a standardization of design so that it's easy to use for people. Mm-hmm. And so there, there should be common practices and things that are done in a way that you recognize and immediately understand how something works. But I think that the same designers that are doing that are also being tasked with identity design and designing the thing that's supposed to make you unique. And so mm-hmm. it's very hard to, to flip back and forth in your mind between those two things because you're being asked to make something that's, that's totally different and then make something that's exactly the same. That's, that's very, <laughs> very challenging. And so I think it's, it's just been that that has caused that rather than just people. I, I don't think that it's, oh, now it's easier to see what everybody's doing. So more people are doing the same thing faster. I don't really think that it's, it's that. So one of my favorite questions to ask everyone on the show is, and you know, this can be something in the world of creativity or design, or it could be just anything, but what would you say you are most obsessed with right now? Uh, surfing. <laughs> awesome. I'm, and I just say that because it's, uh, it's September. And so it's hurricane season out on the East coast. And so we have more waves right now than we do like the entire rest of the year combined. So that's my, it, it consumes my mind because almost every day I could go surfing and that's crazy. That doesn't happen out here. So that's my, my current uh, obsession. It's not my lifelong or even, I don't know, this, this period of life obsession, but it is definitely the, the obsession of right now. So I think when you think um, New York City and surfing, those two don't usually go together. So where does most, a does a New Yorker go to surf? Yeah, most people don't don't associate that. Um, the easiest place to go surf is the Rockaways, and you can literally get on the subway. I could walk out the door and walk a block down and get on a train and end up right on the beach where I could surf in about an hour and fifteen minutes. So um, without having to drive, which is great. So you go there. That's the closest spot. A lot of people go to uh, Long Beach, or you can go all the way down to Montauk. You can go to New Jersey. There's actually a lot of surfing. 
right around New York City. Just people don't think about it or maybe don't take advantage of it. Yeah, would have never crossed my mind, but that's <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I often go in the morning before I come to work. Nice. And that's just not something, yeah, that's not something that people would imagine. I'm sure your partners, again, are probably full of this, but um, what would you say is your favorite piece of advice, either that you've received or your favorite piece of advice to pass along to other young designers? Mm. That's a good question. Maybe a couple. One of the favorite, like one of the, the best pieces of advice I received and that I do believe in passing on is um, the reality that, that a simple idea is still a good idea. A lot of times we want to overcomplicate things to feel like we're more valuable, that we have magically come up with something new. But a lot of times the, the idea that's right in front of you is the right idea because it will resonate. And it's, it's your responsibility to still make it special, but it could be very simple uh, and be very good. That's advice that impacted me a lot and that I hope impacts other people. Other advice that I always pass on uh, is the idea of be be considerate up front. Think of everything in the beginning so that you can walk into situations confidently and then not have to worry about anything else because worry will wreck you. So if you can can be more considerate, if you can be um, even thinking, you know, thinking about your own thinking in a situation uh, beforehand so that once it comes time for that the moment of truth, you can be completely relaxed, um, that will really set you apart. Very good. Maybe one or two more questions here before I let you go, but no problem. You know, you're 10 years into having your own practice and just a little over a year, I think, into being at CGH. What do you think the next 10 years holds for you and and for CGH as well? It's a great question. Um, I've never been good at, at defining accurately what's going to be next. I set up ideas and I'm usually wrong in terms of what I'm going to do or what, what is going to happen. But I set these broader goals and I think those are still, still applicable. So, um, for, for myself, I'm going to do my best to continue to, to find, I don't know, the best balance that I can in terms of producing good design for good clients that has the ability to endure and, Hopefully some of those clients will, will make amazing work that a lot of people are affected by and, and that that identification will have a, I don't know, a very rich home to, to live in. And I don't mean that from a monetary perspective, but just a, an environment to live in, in which it can identify for a lot of things to a lot of people. So I think that's where I will continue to be and I'll move and shit and shift and, Things will change inevitably over the, the next decade, but hopefully the, the work can can maintain a constant voice. I think for, for CGH, you'll see uh, you'll see that that same type of approach where the the work will stay the same. We'll make something today, and it will it will look as though it could have been made 20 years ago, or maybe it will be made 20 years in the future. And I think you'll see that in 10 years, the same work that comes out, you won't know if we made it right now in, you know, September of 2017, or if it was made in, in 10 years, um, I think there will be a, an evolution of how we work and the companies in, in which we work with, but it will be uh, consistent minded 
individuals and people that, that we believe in and products that we can get excited about. Awesome. Well, I think if the last uh, 11 years are any indication, I think you guys are well on the way for that uh, to be a continued theme. I hope so. Mackie, before we let you go, maybe you could tell our listeners about um, where they can track you down online and, and learn more about CGH as well. Sure. Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find online. I'm Saturday on most of the, the social networks, just at Saturday. My website is Mackie, M-A-C-K-E-Y, Saturday.com. And CGH uh, is, is much easier to find by just using CGH, as in CGHNYC.com or at CGHNYC. Uh, but if you feel like taking on a great challenge, you can try to spell out Shemayev Geismar Haviv, and you'll always find us there. Also, because of their legacy, they're pretty easy to find on just things like best logo designers on Google. You know, you'll also find us that way. Or like every design history book. Yeah, you know, a few books here and there. <laughs> Got uh, more books on the way. There's some other exciting things like that happening. So you'll see you'll see some new things over the next year uh, coming out of the office that I think people will be really excited to get their hands on. Awesome. Well, I know there's not a lot of the uh, new stuff that you're working on currently we were able to talk about today, but maybe we could have you on maybe for season three and in the future to talk a little bit about kind of the first two years and how things are, are going uh, there at CGH. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. That's the, the nature of identity design, right? We design things. It takes forever to roll out and then a really long time before everybody really knows about it. So a um, lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of heads down ideas coming to fruition. So It'll be exciting for, for everyone to see him soon. Very nice. Well, Mackie, thanks for being with us today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's number 81 in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com. If you click on episodes, you will see we are now featuring the podcast link right there on the page. So you can literally play the show from the website. And of course, be sure to head over to iTunes as well to add us to your podcast subscriptions. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and review It help other people find the show. And you know, it's just good karma points. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. If you'd like to get emails from me and some thoughts on design and branding, head over to milesherndon.com slash josh to subscribe to my email. Our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>